Hello and welcome to Cage Club. Two fans, 76 movies, one cage. Today's movie is Trespass from 2011, directed by Joel Schumacher. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And this is the kind of movie that I was bracing for when we watched Seeking Justice, that I'd already seen Trespass, but this is a movie that's more, I think, sadly so, more reflective of Cage's straight-to-DVD sort of oeuvre. Yeah, and, but surprisingly, we're still not technically direct-to-DVD, right? You tell me this actually got released theatrically? So there is a weird history with this that I, I sort of... I don't, I don't know that he ever has really 100% straight-to-DVD. I mean, we'll find out as we go movie to movie. But this movie was in theaters, I believe, on, like, October 2nd. Budget was $35 million. It grossed 24000 and was pulled from theaters after 10 days, breaking the fastest ever from theaters to home video record previously held by from Justin to Kelly. And that took 29 days to get the DVD. Trespass did it in only 18. Wow. It was released in 10 major markets, and it was also released on VOD the same day. Okay. So I feel like, I mean, this is 2011. This is the fourth of five movies caged in 2011. I feel like maybe part of the problem, aside from the fact that it's just like a crazy, not great movie, is that this was sort of, I guess, near the beginning of same-date VOD releases. Mm -hmm. And I just feel like... It, it, everything just came out too soon. I mean, the fact that the, I mean the box office numbers are terrible, but the fact that the VOD came out the same day and the Blu-ray I think was scheduled for like three weeks later, it's just like why would people go to the theaters when they can see it so many other uh, places for free or not for free but like for cheap and easily? Yeah, it, it's still sort of a, a shaky business model. The Kingstone really feel all ironed out uh, you know even when you have big guys like Soderbergh releasing movies on the same day like Bubble like he did like DVD and theatrically and people still weren't his name still wasn't big enough to sort of market all that but it, it sounds to me like they were ready to go straight to DVD with this straight to straight to VOD and we're like maybe let's just get it out there theatrically you know so we could say so you know just give it a weekend cut our loss maybe uh, perhaps there was some kind of deal in the back end where if we get this in theaters, you know, we could save a couple bucks somehow. But who knows? I, I will I will consider this one more of a direct-to-DVD then. I thought Seeking Justice was the same thing. Like we talked about on that one, that made like four hundred grand. This made twenty four grand. It made another $9 million overseas, but there's no way it came, like it recouped the cost of making this movie. Crazy. And you're right. This definitely sort of reflects the value of straight-to-DVD more than Seeking Justice did. <laughs> you know, I'll just put my cards on the table here right now. I, I didn't like this one as much, you know. I'd just come out and say I didn't really like this one. I think some of that is due to its limitations. We'll get into them. So this movie is directed once again by Joel Schumacher, who directed 8mm, who's sort of a big name. I don't know if he's necessarily known for great projects. I mean, I think most notably he's known for Batman and Robin, right? Well, I think after that, that's all he'll ever sort of be known for first. It's sort of become his stigma sure, in a yeah, way. Yeah. Yeah, even like we say with 8mm, I feel like that reflects him much better as an artist and as a director, you know? It's just like a much better movie and it's sort of strange that like people still haven't gotten over that and and he's still trying to show him a more of a thriller guy i'm less of that superhero action this movie is i guess you call it a thriller i mean it's a kidnapping abduction home invasion thriller movie it's written by a guy who wrote three episodes of dead like me which is one of my all-time favorite tv shows the guy wrote oblivion that tom cruise sci-fi movie from a year or two ago which was really cool 
He also wrote the November Man, which we I think we might have brought up recently. I'm not sure. Oh, we brought it up last episode because the guy who directed Seeking Justice also directed the November Man. So this guy wrote the November Man. So like he's made things that are sort of you know critical successes and commercial successes. I just don't know what happened here. Yeah, I just felt the movie sort of collapse under its own weight in a way. I, I felt like I really loved the setup and the first act and, you know, basically everything up to the home invasion. To be honest, I didn't know it was going to be that type of home invasion film. It really didn't seem like it was going that way. And then I realized, oh, this is going to play out much more sort of like a bottle episode or like a play. You know, we're only going to be stuck in this one location for the next hour or so, hour and a half. It never really sustained itself for me uh, from that point on. It, it didn't really feel like it knew what to do with itself. I feel like one of the big problems, and I don't know how much this would have affected the script. I don't know. I feel like there just was probably like a weird vibe on set. Rumor has it that Cage like quit the production. In this movie, Cage plays this father, this diamond trader, who lives in this gigantic, gorgeous house with Nicole Kidman and their daughter. And from the outside, he sort of looks like he has the perfect life, right? He's got all this money, he's got a beautiful wife, he's got this kid who seems pretty well-adjusted, kind of, from afar. Supposedly, on set, he quit and wanted to become the lead kidnapper. But then the next day, he was back on set and just acting like the dad. So I don't know what happened. I don't know if that sort of left, like, a weird vibe on the film. If that is true, I can't imagine it was a good thing for the production. I just don't understand. That doesn't seem to me like the kind of thing that Cage would do. Especially because I think you brought it up five or ten years ago in his filmography that he was kind of tired of being the villain. Maybe he wants to be the villain again? I don't know. I don't know either, but watching the film, knowing that information, I could kind of see why maybe he made the wrong choice in his head, you know, because I think like that is a better role for someone of his caliber and someone, you know, I think he could have pulled that role off a little better, to be honest with you, and it might have been a better movie for that. We've seen him sort of save productions before in a way, in a weird way, you know, so it doesn't seem like him to like intentionally like walk off set or, you know, make these weird declarations like. I want to be the bad guy all of a sudden. I don't know about that, but you're right. Like it is, it's it's a weird rumor, and I couldn't just stop thinking about you know him playing the Ben Mendelsohn role, who ends up playing the lead villain. Yeah, who's back from knowing, right? Yeah, yeah, in a much I, larger role. I emailed Lindsay Gibb about this because it, it seemed so out of character, but she also didn't know more. She heard the same thing that we heard, but she didn't know more to it. And I really wonder because. Larson brought up to me before we recorded the Seeking Justice episode, we didn't mention this on air, but Cage's IRS's financial problems were in 2009, and that's when he owed, you know, 6 or $12 million or whatever his back taxes. So this is sort of the beginning of a point, like, you know, this year especially probably, because most of these 2011 movies, I'm guessing, were probably filmed in 2010. These seem like the kind of movies that he's just doing just to kind of get a, a paycheck. And I really wonder, I mean, I, it's hard to say, and we're, this is all just conjecture because there's no info really out there about it. I wonder if he just, like, signed on because he's like, I worked with Joel Schumacher on 8mm, I know him, I've worked with Ben Mendelsohn, maybe he was attached, like, this would be cool. And then, like, he just got on set and maybe, like, the whole, the whole everything is just sort of, like, chaotic and messy. And I wonder if he's just like, oh, I just can't do this. Like, I don't want it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know if he just sort of had, like, a little bit of regret. It still does seem, like you were saying, like, just so out of character. He seems more like he's willing to do extra to help a thing than sort of hurt the production in some way. 
You know, I, I think it might just be like a big miscommunication. I think we talked about on the Wind Talkers <laughs> episode how he learned Navajo, right? And then got to set and like needed to <laughs> speak about two sentences the entire yeah. film. And we kind of speculated perhaps he thought that he was playing a different role, like some kind of interpreter or something else. And so perhaps he thought he signed on for playing the bad guy and got to set and Ben Mendelsohn shows up in his ski mask and Cage is handed, you know, a business suit. And he's like, what the hell is this? What's going on? And, you know, I could see someone, you know, sort of losing it for a few hours and needing to calm down and then return and it kind of reminds me of the story when Larry David quit SNL on like a Friday and then he showed up Monday morning like nothing ever happened because he realized it was like a horrible mistake <laughs> I really I, I have no idea this is another one where I think we were talking about it with Season of the Witch where just like internal consistencies are off like it feels like nobody here was on the same page whether there was you know miscommunication when they were signing on to roles or just once the ball actually got rolling, that it does sort of seem like Cage's accent in this movie kind of goes in and out. And he's sort of talking like himself for a while, then he almost sort of has like a Britishy thing at times, and then at other times he sort of sounds like Charlie Bodell or Speckles, that he just kind of got like this nasally thing. And as the movie ramps up and gets crazier and crazier, I feel like his, his accent becomes more pronounced, but there's not really a justification for why that happens, it's just sort of like a weird thing that happens. Yeah, you know, when you when you <clears throat> mentioned that to me earlier, I started thinking about why that could have happened, and I was, you know, we sort of talk about how he puts on airs for different people in different situations, yeah. so perhaps he was sort of slipping into a different role, and, and like early on, and actually the very beginning of the movie, it starts with him on the cell phone, wheeling and dealing, trying to make a business move. He's much different in his manner than when we right, see yeah. him with his wife and his children and things, so part of me was like, he's just trying out different personas and, and, and almost like seeking <laughs> Justice, like trying to dig deep and find like his toughest primal like version of himself, and and maybe that is you know Speckles the mole's voice, <laughs> and that's what he considers threatening. Mr. Kaplan, Kyle Miller again. Yeah, hi. I'm I'm calling about the Golconda Diamond that we had discussed. Well, I have a buyer. I know we haven't done business before, but I assure you, I can be an asset to your company. Let me show you what I can do with this stone. No, I won't take commission. What? What do you have to lose? It's my contact and my risk. I guarantee he's 100% reliable. If this goes upside down, it's on me, okay? Hang up. Hang up. I'm calling him now. Thanks. Well, I, I totally agree with you in terms of the way he carries himself around different characters, because this whole movie is sort of like, he's telling, he's living a lie, basically. Yeah. That they're in this giant house, but in reality, they're broke. But also, in like real reality, he's not broke. He's just acting like he's broke. And so you got to be that sort of smooth-talking sales guy on the phone. you got to make it feel like everything's okay with Nicole Kidman, even though we learn from their daughter that they're having marital problems. And, you know, her friend is just like, oh, you know, my mom's sleeping with the divorce lawyer. Like, you know, their daughter's just like, oh, like, what's his number? Like, my mom's going to need him. <laughs> and so, like, you can see that they're sort of, sort of falling apart. But I don't think there's too much going on, but there's, like, so much manipulation and sort of, like, backhanded like storytelling and logic between characters i guess it makes sense for him to have different accents but i feel like even within the same scene or like within the same group of characters things sort of change and like that kind of consistency doesn't necessarily feel great yeah yeah and that happens a lot with other things in the film too like i feel like 
like other characters are inconsistent too. Like not just I think maybe Nicole Kimmon to me seems to be doing the best job in my opinion. Like she to me feels like if you need to have a lifeline, like just try and follow what she's doing <laughs> in this movie. Because I think you're right. Like I think you know Mendelssohn, right? Him and his crackhead girlfriend. He's always like baby doll, baby doll with her, and it just doesn't feel like as real, or it doesn't feel like the same guy could would do that and then be as right. threatening as he is being. Yeah, they're overdoing it in a lot of ways to me. But I also kind of was reminded of Matchstick Men a little bit. Like, maybe this is like, if he didn't have some kind of disorder and worked alone, like, he could settle down with a family and this would sort of be the situation <laughs> he is stuck in. Like, one day, he would have to sort of con his way out of a home invasion. I'm glad that you brought up the whole Nicole Kibben, just like, if you're not sure what's going on, just follow her, because she's the only one that really, I don't want to say, like, it doesn't sound like more of a compliment than I mean it to be, but she's sort of the only character with like a logical or interesting character arc. We find out as the movie unfolds that there's like this group of four burglars or kidnappers coming to steal diamonds. There's like two brothers in there and there's a girl and there's another guy. And it turns out that maybe that like she sort of tipped them off. And it, it's like it's sort of like cliched and like there's sort of like twists that you see coming and then twists you don't see coming. But they're like, oh, OK, like they're just doing that. But it does feel like she's sort of the most... I guess once you figure out what the whole plot is, her story is the easiest to understand, kind of. That, like, Cage, like, it's just, like, a weird thing he's doing. All the robbers just seem, like, weird. Like, yeah. who knows what, who, why they're doing what they're doing. She just, I guess, by comparison, seems like the most normal, easy to follow. Like, I can kind of see what she was doing, even though she's kind of all over the place as well. I feel like they paid most attention to her character. It's the most complete character. These bad guys are very one-dimensional and the uh cage is is his character isn't you know we don't really he's very aloof at time you know he is the most secretive of everybody right like we really don't get much from him he's just like the staller or like the negotiator in this film and i just feel her character sort of has this arc or just has the most going on in her life right and yeah. it's just as the film goes on we realize she is kind of the main character here like uh, the story events are very much centered around her so i think mostly for those reasons and and the fact that i just think Nicole Kidman is is great and like kind of comes alive at moments in this film and in ways I've never seen her really like fight or be tough like this in a lot of ways so I thought that was really cool too so yeah she's just the one that I was most engaged with on the other hand like you look at the robbers and I feel like there's only four robbers because they need like things to be happening in different places different characters like there is no attention paid to any of them here are my names for the robbers we got Ben Mendelsohn I don't know what he is (laughs) I don't know any of their characters' names. We got Ben Mendelsohn. We got his brother, so I just call him Bro. We got Red, who's just this other guy who's just sort of like this tough guy who seems almost like Ben Mendelsohn's boss in a way. That they're reporting back to someone else, but it seems like this guy I was calling Red is sort of there to make sure Ben Mendelsohn stays in line. And then you have this crackhead girlfriend who's just running around the house. Like, I don't know any of their names. I don't know why really any of them are there. It just seems like it's overly complicated, and I guess like we were talking about with knowing, I think, there's just too many characters just doing too many things, like, kind of condensed characters into one, 
maybe have two or maybe three robbers. Like, four is just, it's too much. Yeah, it's sort of that gun in 60 seconds syndrome, too, right? Where they, <laughs> they're just redundant at, at points, you know? I just feel like it could have been cooler if the brother, you know, the one that, not Ben Mendelsohn, but his brother, if he was right. sort of the tough guy and there was sort of this, you know, Lenny situation going on where he was not slow, but just didn't know his own strength. And, you know, you could incorporate that into his, you know, tender nature and you could have played that up well. And I just really didn't see a point for the girlfriend to be there whatsoever, except for Mendelssohn's comfort i don't i don't really know what she was i have there. no she idea was what very she was and she vanishes for a long time and in fact <laughs> when she reappears i thought it was the daughter and i was like oh the daughter's like getting high i was like what is going on at this point oh no it's not the daughter it's girl thief she like goes upstairs to watch home movies and try on dresses and just smoke crack like it's the weirdest thing like i don't understand why like does she do anything ever? I mean, the jobs that they have her do, anybody else could have done, right? Yeah, absolutely, and, and done it better and more effectively. The one thing she ends up doing is very late in the film, escorting the daughter somewhere, and she can't even do that right. She gets, like, it's one of the cooler moments. It's, she gets a good yeah. death, you know? And, and that's the problem. Like, there's cool things in this movie that I like. It's just, there's much more that I don't, and especially with the script and the plot towards the end, it's just over-convoluted, and it just doesn't earn all these sort of twists and turns that it's trying to go for. Like, I think what's cool about this, and it sort of goes right with what you were saying, is that the movie does a good job of kind of empowering different types of characters. In, in most Cage Club movies, the daughter would have nothing to do, but she's kind of, in a way, the hero here. That she sort of saves the day, kind of gives them an alibi to get out, and she kind of gets the final ball in motion. I just think that, like, you know, as sort of like they could have just written her off, like, oh, she's just this party girl, whatever, you know, leaves the house to go, whatever. Like, I think it's cool that she has the ability to sort of save the day, and she does really kill that girl. I mean, we don't know that she's dead, dead, but like, probably dead, because we see the, the windshield splattered with her blood. But we just see her, like, take control and take the situation to her own hands and single-handedly take out a, a burglar or a robber or a kidnapper. So, like, I just like that she is sort of more more strong, more more powerful, more empowered than most other kids or most other women in Case Club movies. Yeah, and, and she's one of the things they set up really well, too. Early on, they show her being sort of a bad kid and sneaking out of the house, but she has enough sense to leave a party when some guy offers her coke and thinks he can score yeah. easy sex with her and things. So she kind of like redeems herself like real quick. I almost thought the problem there is it, it happened way too fast. You know, like I think I was telling you, like I, I like the first act of this film. It's just it needed to be stretched out a little longer. Maybe I think they're doing good things. It's just they're not taking their time. Yeah, like they like she's kind of. I mean, Nicole Gibbons maybe the character who's best to follow but the daughter's kind of the most interesting one because they could and they sort of do start out to write her like every other cliched teenager in every movie ever but we see that she actually has a head on her shoulders is able to think quickly on her feet offer this alternative at the end get out of the party like she basically shows up to the party goes in this closet watch this kid do like a line of coke and just like all right i'm out of here like that's her whole party experience we're like oh okay but that sort of sets up the end of the movie. But it's just cool how she... I don't know if this is like a smart thing that they're intentionally doing or just like weird kind of inconsistent character plotting that works out to its advantage. But the movie sets her up as this hacky, cliched girl who 
pulls a 180 really quickly and sort of becomes this, she and Nicole Kidman are both kind of stronger will than Cage in this movie. I think Cage goes through a lot in a different way. You know, he, his will and his strength comes through very differently because he's basically getting tortured for an hour and 15 minutes, right? Like, they're beating the shit out of him, and they shoot him in the leg and, you know, threaten to cut his fingers off and just all, all kinds of things. A businessman like that who never, you know, doesn't go to the gym, doesn't know self-defense, like, is put through the ringer. They're, it's much more physical and proactive in their portrayal, you know, and, and I think that's that's good and fine and serviceable because you can contrast with what Cage is doing and it's not as obvious and he kind of takes a back seat for them and I kind of like that and they get yeah. to do all the things that you would think he would do. You know, you'd think they would be the ones tied up this whole movie and, and he's out there escaping and getting caught again and stuff, but it's cool how they, how they spin it on here. It's just, <laughs> what's annoying is like, she escapes like, and gets caught like three, four times, you know, <laughs> like that's the problem. <laughs> like it's not you know, it's not with the character Characters, it's with like the plotting and well that's what we were talking about that as we were both watching the movie we were just like this is the same scene over and over again that people keep escaping and they're getting brought back in they keep asking cage about diamonds and he keeps giving them another excuse the middle of the movie the middle sort of 40 minutes like the main sort of thrust of this movie it's like one scene or two scenes repeated three or four times like it just it's weird it's like they didn't have enough story to fill like, it almost feels like if they had condensed that and then added on, like, another act at the end, like, maybe a chase or maybe some kind of revenge thing or whatever, maybe they leave and then Cage has to go hunt them down. Like, I don't know. Yeah. It's like they're like, okay, we got Ben Mendelsohn, we got Nicolas Cage, we're going to have him go head-to-head here. Like, it's going to be great. Like, people are going to love this back and forth. And then they're like, oh, we only have, like, eight pages of this. Like, what, <laughs> what do we do? Well, why don't we just, like, you know... Instead of talking about diamonds in the safe, we talk about uh, diamonds in the briefcase. Or we talk about how there's this necklace, but it's actually cubic zirconia. <laughs> but it's all just like diamonds and Cage making excuses, and them keep threatening to like inject him with medicine, or inject him with like that, that knockout toxin, or cut off his thumb, or shoot him in the head, or cut out his kidney. It's like intimidation, excuse, threat of bodily harm revert back to step one. Like, it just over and over and over again. And then, meanwhile, the only difference is that, like, Nicole Kimmins brought away, and she's like, this isn't how it's supposed to go down. Or we see the girl escape, or whatever. Like, what, the Cage's story, it's just the same things again and again and again, and unless he's, like, freaking out and just sort of screaming at Ben Mendelsohn, nothing new is, there's nothing noteworthy there. Yeah, I, I think the whole problem with this is, like, it escalates way too quickly, right? Like, it should take time for this to escalate between Cage and Mendelssohn, I feel. It should pay off that there's, like, okay, where are the diamonds? I'm going to punch you. Where's the diamonds? I got this needle. Where are the diamonds? I'm going to shoot your wife. But instead, he, like, comes into this house, and he's like, where's the diamonds? And he's like, you know, yeah. it's life or death, and it's, like, our only chance. And he never gives it a chance to, like, and this might be Schumacher, you know, he just doesn't give it a chance to escalate. Or when the initial shock sort of settles in, he doesn't give it time to sink in and we're sort of like always constantly on edge and he doesn't let the film quiet down for a couple minutes for us to spend some time before the next es escalation is supposed to happen. He's always trying to keep this constant rhythm going and I just think it's too much too soon with all of that. And then we get my least favorite part of the movie, these 
flashbacks. <laughs> like, I kind of wouldn't mind it if they didn't just come out of nowhere at first where I thought my DVD was skipping or like I was hallucinating or something. But those just took me way out of the film and the more they went on, the less I liked them as a storytelling device. I think this is a good opportunity to talk about who knows what is a really big question in this movie. They, uh, <laughs> it's, it's so frustrating. Like, it's exactly what you're talking about. Like, so there's like twists on top of twists on top of twists. And there's like, we're, we're sort of get like a few pieces in a flashback. The brother, Ben Mendelsohn's brother, works at this company, Guard Alert, which is basically rent-a-cop for Cage's gated community. So he's there sort of, I guess, fixing or setting up more alarms. And it looks like he and Nicole Kidman had an affair. And then we find out this, like, right after we find out that she tipped them off, which still doesn't necessarily make sense, I don't think. But anyway, then later in the movie, we find out that he just knew where the cameras were and kissed her and sort of followed her inside and made it look like they had an affair when that wasn't actually the truth. But it's just, like, weird. Like, their whole... Like, that plan, I guess to sort of have Cage turn on Kidman makes sense, sort of. But also, like, they come into the house and they know the alarm, but then they, they don't know anything about anything. Like, this whole, like, their whole plan, like, see, they seem like they're really well-informed in the situation. They know the house, they know the people. And then when there's no money and no diamonds, they're like, wait, that wasn't, like, what? I don't understand, like, if they're supposed to be good at what they're doing or bad at what they're doing or if they're just desperate or what it is. All right, let's try that alarm now. After all, we want to know when little Avery gets home, right? Oh, you'd be surprised at things I know about you, Kyle, and what I don't know. You're going to tell me. Like, what's the alarm code? What's the alarm code? I can't hear you. What's the fucking code? 747465. Seven, four, six, five. Yes. You sure about that? Yes. All right, you sure about that? You're sure about that, right? Yes. I just want to make sure because like the man said, we really, really hate surprises. Seven, four, six, five. Wait, 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 no. Wait, 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 no, no, what? What? You hear the cops? Do you hear anything? Do you hear a siren? I don't hear a siren. You know why I don't hear a siren? Because there are two codes here, Kyle. One that's real and one that acts real, only it calls the police. Now, we happen to know your code, and we happen to know a lot about you, Kyle. So please don't fucking underestimate us, okay? It's just very inconsistent writing. He comes into the house and he's like, we know more than you do, or like, we know everything, buddy. And you're right, they don't know everything. Like, in fact, Cage knows more than them. And like, they think they're one up because this guy in their crew had an affair with his wife. But Cage knew that. Like, we find out at the end, uh, Twist, I knew you were having an affair the whole time, honey. <laughs> like, I was going to let you sort of like live with that. <laughs> and she's even like, I still love you and stuff. And then so it gets to be up to him. He's like, well, we'll see. Maybe if we survive this. Yeah, it just feels like needless revelations come to light at times. Maybe it's just the pattern of the film is just to sort of like lie to the audience and see if they believe you. And then 20 minutes later, tell the truth. And then another 40 minutes later, like say something else to contradict that. Because it's like Mendelssohn's like, oh, we need 180 grand because my <laughs> mom needs a kidney transplant. And then later he's like, I don't need a kidney, but I do need 180 grand. And then it's like he was ripped off in a drug deal. That's what he needs the 180 grand for. But the people he owes that money to ripped him off. So what did they even set him up for in the first place? Like it just collapses in on itself because of the need to be clever. 
there's twists in here that just exist because there can be twists, I feel. That's exactly, like, that's the best example. Like, mm-hmm. they're like, we need 180 grand, so we're going to steal that diamond necklace and we're going to sell it because my mom needs a new kidney. And then, like, just kidding. That was never, my mom died. She was blah, blah, blah. And then they're like, I need 180 grand because I got ripped off in a drug deal. Like, I get that that's sort of, like, their real intention, but there's nothing to set it up. There's nothing to pay it off. There's no real, like, explanation, and there's no real sort of justification like, as the audience, we don't care. Like, we yeah. don't care why you need the money. Don't just, like, I don't understand why you're doing this. Like, we need a little bit of a backstory, and we get sort of at the end, or toward the end, like, the four of them, or the three of them at least, at the bar, and they're like, we know a way to get the money. Like, we kind of need, like, a scene like that. Like, we kind of set them up a little bit, because we don't care about them, we don't know what they're doing, and everything we find out about them is a lie. So, like, it just doesn't matter to us. Like, I just don't care why they're here. I also don't care if, like, Cage gets ripped off. He seems kind of like a douchebag who, <laughs> you know, who doesn't love his wife anymore. His daughter sort of is unhappy with her parents are getting divorced or about to get divorced or whatever. Go ahead. Like, just rob him. Like, I don't care. No, I don't care if they steal the money. I don't care if they don't steal the money. I don't care if any of these characters live or die. It's just a mess. I feel if they just told this story in chronological order, it might have worked a lot better, or if they at least just move some of those flashbacks up into real-time scenes before they sort of do the break-in. Like, if they had, you know what I mean? Like, if we had, like, a feel for these guys before the break-in, but I think they're trying to play off of the shock and, you know, oh, like, just the idea of being violated in your home, you know, late at night one night, it being a metaphor for this rocky relationship, like, oh, if we could, you know, survive this night, we'll bond again and be a whole family of badasses and, you know, empowered and all that kind of stuff. But with the Cage character, you're kind of right. Like, I do see how he comes across, like, as this slimy sort of business guy, but at least at the end, it's justified a little bit with the idea of him being broke right he's like living off credit so i sort of saw him not as wanting to not pay attention to his wife and kids but needing to wheel and deal and keep afloat and you know he's just treading water that whole time so in retrospect he came across a little better in the end of the film and of course he he comes out the hero one thing i'd like to do and i think this will maybe clear things up possibly i don't know Can we go character by character and figure out what they're doing and what their plan is? Sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so Cage. Let's let's start with Cage. Let's start at the top. All right. I'm going to say what I think and see if you think this is the right thing. So he is a diamond trader who has been planning to declare bankruptcy to sort of get his... I don't don't understand that part. But he sold his wife's diamond necklace, which cost, you know, $700,000 or whatever, bought a replica, replaced it with the replica and took all the money he made from selling the necklace and hid it in his under-construction garage. So his plan was to declare bankruptcy, I guess sort of refinance or something, and then have all this extra cash and sort of live a more manageable but smaller life? Is that what he's doing? Okay, I, I got that for the most part. I didn't get the bankruptcy thing, but I just felt like he was going to do this until it all caught up with him and he had to be officially broke and then he would take the money he hid and they would go sort of start a new life with that. But for the most part, I agree. Yeah. So is he, is he, is he trying to screw somebody over? No, no. I, I think that's just 
that is just the his stash. That's his you know his D Day money. That's just like the money he's got there when the shit hits the fan and they have to like get out of town or you know maybe the day he decides he's going to leave his wife or the day they're all going to leave together. This is what they'll have to build their new life with. That's that's so how is, I took it. Is his job going poorly? Well, he said he got fired. Okay. Yeah, so he got fired. He's like, they found someone who could do what I do for cheaper. <laughs> That's all he basically says. But he was this diamond salesman, yes, because he knew everything about that and what to do with that. Yeah, about like the, the jeweler's loop and stuff. But like the way that he said he got fired, it seemed like a lie, and I wasn't sure whether that was a lie or the truth. I think... That's a, I don't know. That's a tough question to answer. <laughs> I think at this point, he's telling the truth to his wife, but he's still lying to these strangers, right? These invaders and stuff. Because at that point, even the affairs out on the table, like all cards are sort of coming out on the table. So I think at that point, he was being honest with her. Okay. So now Nicole Kidman was or was not having an affair with the guy? I think they slept together once. That's how I took it. But she wasn't really happy with it. Like, she, she yeah. felt guilty about it. Yeah, yeah. It seems like he was there a couple times doing, like, installations and hookups. And then one time, he just takes a swim without even asking. He just, like, in their pool, gets out of the pool, comes up to her and, like, kisses her. And then they, that's when they go off into the bedroom and, you know, possibly compromise off screen. Now, what I got from that scene was that was when he knew the camera was rolling. And that's when he made it look like they had been conducting this ongoing affair. Um, say, say that one more time. That was not... I don't know. I, don't, I mean, I don't think they, they slept with him because at the end of the movie, we get the affair. We, we, find, we get the flashback where he walks out of the pool and she's like, what are you doing? Because the first time we just see it happen, we don't hear what they're saying. And he walks out of the pool and he walks up to her and he kisses her. And then they go in the house. And it's like, oh, like they were you know, having an affair that he was supposedly, quote unquote, you know, fixing their alarm system. But instead, he was actually going over there and they were like compromising each other all day long, whatever. But then we hear what's going on, and she sees him in the pool, and she's like, what are you doing? Get out of there. He's like, no, I'm okay. Like, we're fine. Then walks up to her and kisses her, and she says, no, like, I don't want this. Like, get away. Like, you need to leave. Then she goes inside, and he follows her. So I don't know if they – it didn't – I didn't get the vibe in that scene that they had been in a relationship, that he was sort of setting them up so that they had leverage over Cage at the end – but I also got the sense that at some other point in the movie, or some other point in their history, that they had slept together. Yeah, it's very confusing, because I also have mixed thoughts about them, and they're kind of different than yours. Like, the, the weird... Because <laughs> like, cause the weird thing is, like, he's overprotective of Nicole Kidman, right? Like, he's like... The, the little brother. Yeah, the brother. The one who, they, who supposedly she slept with, or the real security guard guy who's part of the crew. During the heist and everything, he's always like, don't touch her, like, whatever you do, right. like, you know, leave her alone and all this stuff. I, and that they even, like, kind of shared, like, this weird intimate moment uh, also. And, and so I'm like, okay, like, they've definitely had something at some point was, like, going on with them, maybe. But then the Ben Mendelsohn's like, the only reason we're, like, breaking into this house, like, you chose you guys is because of your wife. Your wife slept with my right. brother, and, like, I can't be having that. So this is, like, payback for doing a bad thing when you're a good person, like, da-da-da, like, you you know and like i was like what is going on like who is using what as leverage and what is whose motive it's just all very crossing over and not very clear to me i also felt like like that seemed genuine him like yelling at cage 
But I also feel like that might have been a lie that his brother told him that he's like, oh yeah, we can hit this girl. Like I've I've been banging her. Like whatever. But I don't know. Like I don't know if that's actually like we never see them. There's one. There's that one flashback where the little brother was following Cage around, right? Because he's like, I know he's got millions of dollars. Like I saw him one time in a parking lot. So it, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. And it's like, dude, you're like so dumb just because you saw him that one time, and then everyone like that's what they went on for the whole score thing. And and like I kind of thought that was like it just oh that's interesting. Like they're idiots, but <laughs> oh no, it was just very strange. Okay, so then going back, like what is Nicole Kidman's story? So in my opinion. She's just there. She's, you know, interior designer, an architect, whatever she is. More of an architect than an interior designer. Yeah. She has this repair guy come over, this alarm, this guard alert guy come over. I think he kisses her. She's been sort of, because they show her, like, staring at him. I think she's thinking about an affair. I don't know that she ever follows through, but either way, whatever. But then at some point, she tells them to rob her husband? Because don't they bring her upstairs and she's like, this isn't how it's supposed to happen? Okay, so that's what I thought for a minute during that scene, but I think she was referring to something else, right? Didn't they say something like, oh, there was something about that scene where they're like, we're going to kill us. I think I remember going into that scene thinking she's in on it, but then at the end of the scene, I was like, oh, she's not in on it. That was just like my mistake, but now I can't remember why. I don't remember the end of that scene, because as soon as, like, I think what happened with me is that as soon as I thought she was in on it, I'm like, oh, all right, here you go, cliche. Like, I've seen this movie before, and I still don't remember, <laughs> you know, what, like, what she's doing or who's in on it. She's a big mystery, and I, maybe maybe that's why she's the most interesting to watch in this movie, <laughs> because nobody knows what she's doing. See, I don't think she's in on it, but... but we don't only have proof that she's not. That's true. That's true, but it just, too. I guess the proof is that it doesn't make sense. That's true, too. Because... <laughs> <laughs> Or maybe, maybe, okay, here's, this This is not founded at all. Maybe she realized that Cage had swapped out her real necklace for a fake necklace and was pissed at him. And then that's when she's like, oh yeah, he's got lots of money in his safe, like, take it out. But then that would also require some flashback where she's plotting with the brother. See, okay, now, yeah, because they have that one moment where she has the needle to Mendelssohn's neck, right? And she's just like, open the fucking safe and let's get this over with. And I, I can see now thinking, yeah, like, the movie might want me to think she's part of their crew. But I wasn't thinking that at all at that moment, which is the funny thing. I was just thinking, like, her as the wife character wants to end this situation. And now, I guess, because she has the most leverage, she's the one that got caged to open the safe. So well, then what's, I, what's I could team? see the movie wanting you to think that she's part of it, but I never thought she was part of it. You know what well, I mean? Then what's that scene with her and Ben Mendelsohn in the kitchen? It seems like they had been plotting previously. Huh. Was that when he was like, get away from my brother or this and that? or like I don't remember. Because it kind of just comes back to me where it's like, after this is over, you think you and my brother are going to like live happily ever after. And she's kind of like, to me, she's kind of like, I don't want anything to do with anybody. But the brother, I don't know, it's weird because she has some kind of weird hold on him that the older brother used to have on him. And that's what's making him all sort of come apart at the seams. And that's what it seems to me. Like, he just doesn't like that she is screwing up the dynamic. I feel like the real big problem here is that everybody's lying to everyone on camera and off camera. So things that we're seeing that are supposedly facts aren't necessarily facts, but we don't also have the real story to know if they're true or false. I don't have any idea the backstory or, like, the, the Nicole Kidman, like, her character just makes no sense, like, her motivations for anything. I think because she's been lying to so many people, the brothers have been lying to each other about her, but we don't really know what or why. 
See, to me, the way I saw watching it was she caused this chain of events, but wasn't in on it and is trying to now do the best she can to, like, stop this chain of events from escalating. So that's what I was like when she's talking to the brothers and trying to, it might seem like she's part of the gang or whatever. She's just trying to defuse the situation. But I just, you know, the, the problem is that, like, there's just too many contradictions in this film for anything to sort of stick long enough and have like a long enough through line like for me her character you know it's not that it's a great character you know or anything i just felt like i was enjoying what nicole kimmon was doing with it and she was the most interesting because kind of was just the most involved she was the most involved like on every level with each other's story and stuff so you know i don't really think it's necessarily that a good character or anything i just think it's the best character in the movie i think it's she's the best because she's directly tied in with everybody. She's got the connection to Cage and the daughter and the robber and I guess sort of maybe Ben Mendelsohn too. So she's able to sort of play off these relationships that we don't have the full details of, but she is connected firsthand to everybody. As opposed to Cage, who just sort of is only firsthand with the robbers because they're in his house now or because they knew his wife. Like, I don't know. Like, she's got a history with everybody or more people, which is why she's interesting. She came across the most innocent in the beginning as well. You know, they did a good job playing her as the unwanted, right? Like, her daughter kind of is, like, fed up with her. Her husband is ignoring her. She just kind of dresses up to be around the house by herself and drink wine and puts on, like, a nice dress and, you know, tries to gain attention and that doesn't work and then suddenly is the invasion so yeah they do like i said like they do good setups for her it's just i'm not sure the payoff is there it's not all quite earned because of the messy maze that it all goes through okay i guess okay i'm I'm just i'm I'm just tired of talking about nicole kidman's character because nothing makes sense um so the daughter is unhappy with her parents relationship wants to act out leaves the house realizes that's a bad idea and then just sort of gets caught in a lie. So her story is pretty straightforward. That's why she's kind of a cool character, because like we know what she's doing, she's in, in control, she's in power, and she kills a girl. So that's pretty cool. Like She's good. We're, we're on the same page there, right? Like she's, There's no mystery there. No, no, not at all. And uh, everything there feels pretty consistent. Like That's the thing. Like They kept her very minimum. That's why I think she works, because she's not lying... Really, yeah, they just right? didn't, they didn't muck her up. Yeah, yeah, they didn't muck her up. They didn't. Yeah, they didn't give too much complexity <laughs> to her backstory or anything like that. She's not trying to get over too much. So Ben Mendelsohn was an up and coming drug dealer. That he was some guy. Yeah, I guess who like got involved in a criminal enterprise. Showed great talent. Showed great promise. They gave him then a hundred eighty thousand dollars worth of drugs, which I think he admits in the movie was too much too soon. Like he wasn't ready to handle that. Then he gets that jacked, and so he needs to have 180 grand. And then he finds out from his brother that there's this couple, or there's this family that they'll be able to knock over for 200 for for that much money. That's what he's doing, right? Yeah. So now the brother is he? So he works for Guard Alert, which is the rent a cop for the facility for their community. Do you think he was always evil, or do you think that he just saw an opportunity and that was like, like is that the first? Is that's, this that's the problem? I think the final piece of his story is the problem. Like everything up into his twist fits his character, right? And then it kind of falls apart for me. He's a security guard, maybe having an affair with Nicole Kidman. Then he finds out that his brother, who is a low-level drug dealer, has this hundred eighty grand stash. 
And he plots to rob that from his brother, which he does. He oh, t- I missed that. Yeah, he robbed his brother. Does his brother know that he was robbed by his brother? He tells him at the end. The big Ugh. red guy tells him at the end. That's what I'm saying. Oh, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay, okay. So just think about it. Like, okay, so this guy is the security guy having the affair. Then he robs his brother. Then his brother goes, you know that person, the rich people you're having an affair with, we're going to rob their house. Why would his brother go, why would he go along for that? Why did he even rob his own brother? Like, that's what's confusing me. I don't <laughs> That's know. where everything falls apart. I feel like this has got to be, like, he's not an established criminal because he is so nervous about everything that's going on. He's so concerned with Nicole Kidman not getting hurt. He's so concerned with things going wrong that it seems like this is either his first job or one of his very first jobs. That I don't think he's an established guy. I think he is sort of worried about whatever. But he, he makes no sense. He doesn't make any sense because why would... Just think of it. This is how I was thinking of it. Okay. The people who gave Mendelssohn the drugs are basically the people who steal the drugs from Ben Mendelssohn. And then he still owes them 180 grand. So, like... What what is like who does like what is their end game like I don't well, are understand they, are are those people like his bosses are they affiliated with his brother yeah his brother works for so his brother works for them and stole the drugs for them and was like hey like <laughs> go steal these drugs from your brother I guess and like prove yourself but that's just like weird when it comes out because it, it's real weird it's just really weird and like it kind of like cracked my brain at a point and I was just like yeah this is bad. Okay, so he makes no sense at all. Even not even a little bit. No, no, no. <laughs> one thing, one one side note is that everybody takes their masks off like so quickly in this yeah. movie, and like that's like rule number one. Like as soon as they take the mask off in like any of these like hostage movies or any of these like kidnapping, burglary, whatever, it's like oh, everybody who sees their face is going to get killed. That even in this movie, like they acknowledge it. Like Cage says to his daughter, "Look down, look down." He has his mask off. Don't see his face. Maybe he'll get out of this. But yeah. then as the movie goes on. That doesn't seem to be, like, a threat or a problem anymore. That, like, I don't know if they ever were going to let them go. I don't know if they were going to kill them, because, like, the, the whole mic goes to shit. But it seems like they're kind of willing to let them go, but then they don't all seem to their face. You know, like, it's just, it's yeah. weird. Yeah, if they were just going to kill them, they wouldn't have worn masks. That's the way I see it. I like the way Mendelssohn looked in the mask, too. So I was, like, stretch this out. Like, I feel like it was kind of cheap when they took the masks off, not just for the reason you say, but just aesthetically, it's much less interesting. Let's just put it this way. Like, he looked meaner in the mask, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It just felt more of a threat naturally because he was obscured with his face and everything like that. Yeah, not only, like, story-wise was it nonsense, but just, like, visually, (laughs) you know, also. Okay, so then there is the Red, the guy I call Red, just this big, the muscle of the group, basically, He's got to be working with Ben Mendelsohn's boss, right? Yeah. Yeah, he, to me, pretty much seems like the babysitter. Like, the guy to make sure, you know, everything's on time, no one, right? That's, like, his main thing. Like, we're running late. For every minute late or something, we lose 10% of our money or of our cut. Whatever the deal is, he's the one to make sure that this actually happens, is is what I saw. And so he probably has some kind of established role in the group, and he does not need to prove himself. So they're letting Ben Mendelsohn run the show to see if he's worthy of being in the crew, I guess. And he's just there that if things go wrong, he can sort of step in and take over, right? 
I mean, I guess so. Like, why would they let Ben Mendelsohn run the show if they both are, if these are the two guys that robbed him? (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, it's just like they're fucking with him. Is that the whole deal is to like play mind games with him and and they were going to leave him behind at the end of this whole thing? I have. Like, that's the really thing. Like, that's the only thing is like, if they just didn't add that part well it's not the only thing but i mean it's a major thing that could have made this be like a not terrible movie in the end because it really blows it with the whole logic i mean if they had just left out the fact that his own brother robbed him it would make more sense so then who's the girl so the girl is mendelssohn's crack smoking stripper girlfriend and she was in the car when they got robbed, so I guess she has to come along for that. She, I really have no idea why she's like, – <laughs> there's really no reason for her to be there except to, like, fuck shit up. Ugh. Yeah, yeah. That, and it, like, <laughs> like, talking it out makes my head hurt more. Well, like, watching it, like, I knew things were wrong and, like, I was like, there are problems here. And then I just wasn't sure if I was going to be able to explain what they were because a lot of it is just, like, in the moment, things come up as a surprise. And it's just, like, that's just, like, dumb. Like, it just contradicts so much. Like, it just doesn't flow with what we've been hearing and seeing and things. Like, things just come out of left field in the wrong sort of way. Ugh. Yeah. (laughs) The whole, like, end scene where they go out to, like, the garage under construction... And they're all just sort of, like, intimidating one another, and then, like, they set a fire? Oh, no, 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 before they set the fire, there's, like, a nail gun. There's just a lot of things going on. Hold on, let me get to my, let me get to that part in my notes. Oh, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> I, wrote, I wrote down that Kidman wasn't into him after all. I don't understand the real version of the story and everyone's true intentions. Later, they go out to the garage, right? Ben Mendelsohn starts strangling Nicole Kidman with, like, the tarp, with, like, that plastic sheeting. Then Cage is firing nails from the nail gun, just sort of at both of them. Just like, whoever he hits, like, it's okay. Ben Mendelsohn shoots Cage in the gut, and he falls over. And then I think Red... Does Red... Is Red there? No, Red dies inside. <laughs> Who tackles him? Is, the, is it the okay. daughter that tackles him? Yeah, there's a couple... A couple. Okay, so let me just step back a few beats here. <laughs> like, okay, so like every... Let's just... <laughs> Cage, like, Cage even stabs Big Red with the needle, but he kind of comes to at one point. The daughter speaks up and is like, look, if you want money, I'll take you to this party where I saw all this money. Like, I'll take right. you there if you want. They finally give the stripper something to do, and she escorts the daughter to this party. But the daughter causes like this awesome car accident on the way and unbuckles the seatbelt of the pa- right. of the and that was really cool like I was Which like, was, oh, and look it was, at that it was also cool because they set it up early in the movie because when her friend who's played by Emily Mead who was Amy in the first season of Leftovers who was one of my favorite characters in the first season basically playing the same role here they're driving she's driving her red sports car by the way great choice and as they're going around that same turn she's not paying attention she almost crashes the car there so I like that they do set that up. Like, there are smart moments in this movie. It's almost like that went in the back of Cage's daughter's brain. It was like, oh, this is a place where I can sort of, like, speed up a little bit and go into a car crash. There's, some, there's like, there's setup and payoff there. It's just, like, almost nowhere else in the movie. Yeah, and, and then she's sort of free and escapes and makes her way back to the house. With I think she has a gun at that point, too. Maybe not, but she's definitely, like, heading back to help out the parents. And while she's gone, I think what happened is the big guys started beating on um, Nicole Kidman and 
Junior or Little Bro wasn't having it, so they start to rumble. I, I think I wrote down, like, house fight. <laughs> People were fighting in the house. Ben Mendelsohn shoots the big guy because he's going to choke his little brother to death. And he's like, you don't fuck with my family. <laughs> like, even in a situation as screwed up as this, I, right. still, I still got his back. And I forget how Ben Mendelsohn eats it. Oh, no, now I remember. There's sort of like a standoff, and the little brother shoots Ben Mendelsohn in the head. Does that happen, yeah. right? Because yeah. I wrote down, like, seeking justice. I was like, it's just like the end of that. One of the bad guys turns on the other well, bad because guy. because Cage and Kidman are on the floor, and Ben Mendelsohn's about to kill them, right? Yeah, yeah. And then the little brother protecting Nicole Kidman... You know, it's weird. Like, it's like, what? Who? Like, who's on whose side? Like, what alliance is strongest here? He shoots his brother to protect this girl that he's not really like in a relationship with. Cage pulls a nail gun and shoots his foot into the ground. It's crazy. Yeah, it's because, weird. Yeah, it's even crazier because he turns on Nicole Kidman at the end, right? He's like, he he throws like Cage through one of the walls under construction, and it reveals the hidden money, the stash right. that, that he had been yep. keeping. And he's like, God damn, there's money after all and stuff. Um, and Cage sort of lights a fire with the paint thinner and nails his foot to the ground with the nail gun and stuff. The guy sort of around this time is like beating on Nicole Kidman or something, or is just like, I'm leaving without these people, or like, you know, screw you guys, I'm out of here. It just seemed like <laughs> he was very willing at that point to forget she existed and let her burn to death <sighs> yeah and then like yeah he's gonna let, he's, uh, mm. and then I guess okay so like after whatever happens all the burglars die Cage is shot in the gut but he's still alive the whole family's outside they're like we call the cops they're coming and then the movie just ends like their house is on fire everybody inside is dead Cage is basically bleeding out on the lawn and we never see like what comes of anything the movie just ends yeah, that bugged me big time. Like, I really <laughs> needed a, a scene in the hospital or, or, like, explaining to cops or, you know, three weeks later or, you know, something. Show me there. Okay, so now they're talking to each other and they're all, like, hanging out and they're going to watch a movie. You know, just give me give me something. It was really – it really bothered me that it ended at that moment. They're just like, Dad, hang on. They're coming. And then credits. <laughs> <laughs> I don't – I don't know. We talked about unknowing how much we love Ben Mendelsohn, and I think he is, like, one of the, really genuinely, one of the best actors working today in Hollywood. I feel like he is really doing the best he can with the script that he was given. It's just that the script he was given is just trash. He, like, I can, I was trying to figure out, like, I was, I started watching scenes, just sort of watching him act, and I feel like he was really doing a good job of trying to sell it. It's just, like, any problems they had with it were not his performance, it was just whatever he was saying and why he was sort of saying it. Yeah, I, I'm actually going to chalk like the issues I have with this movie mostly up to the script and to the director. Like, I really feel like if Schumacher sort of saved Mendelssohn at moments and like you know toned him down, I, I just feel like there was like what he's doing is good. You know, like his intensity is great. Like I feel right. like he's very close to being actually scary and and stuff like that. Like he's really close to pulling this off. I just feel like he needed to build more to it. Like at first, he I feel like it could have been. Because he's small in this, you know, he's small and unassuming, and he doesn't seem like a kind of tough guy at first. But he sort of is playing that the whole movie. I think it could have been cooler if he came in more like the brain, like the guy, calm, cool, collected, like, let's get this going. And then as he, as he sort of lost his cool, he became more of like the animal inside and stuff. And, and I just kind of feel like he was directed to be that mostly from the beginning. He's just playing that desperation way too much. Yeah. 
but he does it well. You know, that's the other thing. And like, I was he does also, it well. I, I did not know that this is he's putting on this American accent flawlessly. Like, I actually really like it's a unique, you know, American accent. It makes it feel authentic. And on top of everything else, he's doing that. So I gave him tons of credit. I also like everybody I didn't know. So basically, the people who weren't Cage or Kidman or Ben Mendelsohn, everybody kind of looks like someone else that I do know, but they're not actually the person. It's like they had ideas for like who they could get, then they couldn't get that person. Like, oh, let's just get this guy. He kind of looks like him. Like, I don't have examples of like <laughs> who they look like, but it, everybody just seems like they're familiar. And then I was looking on their IMDb, and like I've seen like none of these people in anything ever. Yeah, no, I kind of got that same feeling too, where they're just almost like the stand-in for that guy, or you know, like the guy who almost got cast for this role, but someone, the actual famous person, went out. I mean, the guy who played Red, like three different times, I was like, is it, is it a guy? Is this this guy, or is it that guy? Like <laughs> him, him the most. And then obviously with with the girl, like I mean, I I got her mistaken for the daughter at least twice. So. Right. <laughs> so there's that. So that was, oof, that was Trespass. Um, I know we didn't really sort of go through it beat by beat, but it's just because it's so hard to do that. Even while you're watching, it's hard to follow. Anything else that you wanted to talk about that we didn't cover already? No, not necessarily. You know, I mean, there's moments in this where where Cage is allowed to go big, but I feel like he doesn't really follow through all the way as much as he could have. Maybe it's because of... He thought he was going to be playing the bad guy and he ended up playing the, the good guy. Who knows? But it just kind of doesn't feel like his head is in the game this entire movie. I don't know if you got that feeling either. Maybe it's because I was just paying more attention to Nicole Kidman. <laughs> but yeah, it just sort of felt like one of the more sort of off-cage performances to me. Not, yeah. Yeah. I think it's just it's inconsistent. Like Sometimes he seems like he's really into it, and then just other times he's just not, you know? It's tough. It's got to be a tough character because, like, I mean, like, I was trying to chart his his character's journey, right? Like, like I said, like, he gets beat up. He gets shot twice, I believe. Well, even once is enough. I know he gets, yeah, he gets <laughs> shot in the leg. He gets shot twice. No, he gets shot twice. Yeah. yeah he gets shot in the leg. He gets, like, And tortured. then somebody, pun- I think it's Ben Mendelsohn's, like, punching him in his gut shot leg. <laughs> or in his gunshot leg. Like, it's just, bang, bang. Like, just, dude, like, calm down. So I, I was just thinking, like, that's got to just be hard to keep straight as an actor, you know, like, you know, especially if they're not shooting this in order, you know, it's like, okay, at what point do I have what injury and, like, how much do I hurt and, you know, where should that reflect in my performance? And, and I just feel like this is a performance that you need your head in the game 100% to pull off, right? right? And I just kind of feel like his wasn't totally there. Yeah, like, I don't think that he really, like, mailed it in, but I think he just, like, he right. wasn't on as on board for this as he has been for most other movies. Yeah. And it shows. It shows. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't want to say, like, he's, like, terrible in this movie, but no. he's just, it's it's not great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Any other key connections or thoughts or anything? I didn't catch any other connections aside from Joel Schumacher, so I'm not sure there are. In the red sports car, which, you know, red sports car. <laughs> it was a bad omen, again, in this film. So that was Trespass. For all things Cage, you can go to cageclub.me. You can read our reviews, find past podcasts, follow us on Twitter, rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. All things Cage at cageclub.me. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And we'll see you next time on Cage Club.
This is a negotiation. You have guns, you have the power to take our lives, but I have the power to make you rich. So please just let her take the car and drive away, and I'll do that. I'll, I'll open the safe and, and make you rich. Oh, her? Are you sure she's worth the car? A million dollars. Yes, that's right, kid. You did it. You hit the mother load. You saw me sign for a million with your own eyes. And it's right there, just inches away. All you have to do is just let my wife go.